Hi everyone and welcome along to the Ergonomically Speaking podcast. The podcast today aims to help you reduce or even eliminate work-related discomfort. As always, I'm your host, Neve Pentony of Boyne Ergonomics. Thank you so much for joining me and for popping in for a listen. This week's topic that we're going to cover is repetitive strain injury, or SIs, as they're commonly known. So the 28th of February is International Repetitive Strain Awareness Day. And there's always a lot of social media posts, a lot of focus on RSIs and what we can do to manage them. So I thought this would be a good time to maybe get this into a podcast and let you know the things that I think are important about RSIs, how to recognize that you might have one and what you can do to prevent them. So that's what we're going to cover in this episode. Um, I do want to start with a little declaration, I suppose, um, that the information that I give in the podcast, this episode and most other episodes, is very general information. It's meant for the fit, well and healthy population and it's guidelines to follow. Of course, when we're doing an ergonomic assessment on an individual who's suffering from an RSI or any other issue for that matter, there's a lot of factors to take into consideration. So in an ergonomic assessment, we would always take into account the person, the issues they're having, where they're having it, how long they're having it, what tasks they do as part of their job, what equipment they use, and what impact these tasks and this equipment has on their issues that they're having. So when it comes particularly to RSIs, individually, there can be a really, really wide range of recommendations. And there will be very specific recommendations and specific equipment that we would recommend for certain issues. I won't be covering that in this podcast because there's just so much range and so much variation. In other episodes, I am going to get on to different types of keyboards, different types of mice that can help certain issues. But for today's episode, I'm just going to give some very general guidelines, some general background on RSIs and what the average person can do to prevent the risk and what you should do if you think you have one. Okay, so what is a repetitive strain injury or an RSI, as I'm going to call it from here on in? Essentially, an RSI refers to discomfort or pain felt in the muscles, the tendons or nerves generally caused by repetitive movements or overuse. And I think one of the really important things, and it's, I think it's a common misconception with RSIs, a lot of people think that a repetitive strain injury comes from doing just the same action over and over and over. And I suppose we always think of carpal tunnel syndrome and the use of the mouse and um, overuse of the mouse or incorrect use of the mouse as being a very common RSI. And of course it is. But the term overuse is very important. An RSI can be caused by overuse of a muscle. And that overuse can happen with either static postures or repetitive dynamic postures. So if you are in a job, just for example, you work at a computer or you're on an assembly line where you're standing for a lot of the day, if some of your muscles or some of your joints are affected by prolonged static positioning with inadequate rest periods, that is an overuse. So I suppose, I think the important thing to remember, and a lot of people, as I said, kind of um, get mixed up with this a little bit and they think that they couldn't suffer from an RSI because they don't have a repetitive job or repetitive hobby. An RSI can occur with static postures if the area in the body is being overused. And why do we care about RSIs? Look, RSIs are really common. They're so, so common. Like 
it was reported, I know, that half of people who work on a computer, so just take that kind of work alone, half of people who work on a computer report some symptoms of RSIs in the neck, the shoulder, the wrist, or the hand. Now, the wrist is the most commonly affected area among computer users. But RSIs, the symptoms and the reported symptoms of RSIs are really common in a job that most people probably wouldn't really think is that high risk when it comes to RSIs. Now, that being said, computer users, the risk is the most commonly reported area, and that's normally attributed to mouse use, incorrect mouse use, and overuse of the mouse. But that is one sector. RSIs are really common across all sectors. So whether it's catering and food production, warehouse, manufacturing, pharma, teachers, education, in the medical professional, nurses, doctors, healthcare assistants, basically across all sectors, RSIs are a huge issue. And they're a very big reason, a very big cause of absenteeism in work people being injured and being unable to be at work because of the symptoms, the severity of the symptoms. And they're so common, they can happen to anyone. So just because you've never had one yet, it doesn't mean it could not happen. And what I should also say is, what I talk about today is mostly focused on work-related RSIs, um, or as we could also call them work-related upper limb disorders, um, non-specific work-related discomfort. But it can happen, an RSI can happen because of a recreational activity, like sport and exercise. It can also happen due to hobbies that you have. Um, for example, knitting, crochet, anything that involves a high level of repetition, prolonged positioning, anything, any task like that, be it work or otherwise, can cause an RSI. If you're not using the correct equipment for yourself, if you're not giving yourself adequate rest and recovery periods. So, uh, the focus is on work-related RSIs, but a lot of this can be applied to recreational RSIs, RSIs caused by hobbies. Um, the most common areas of the body affected by an RSI, it is the upper body, really, like the neck, the shoulders, the elbows, the forearms, the wrists, the hands, the fingers. Now, of course, they can occur in the back and they can occur in the lower limbs, absolutely, but definitely the upper limbs, the upper area is the areas most affected by it. And we would often know common RSI conditions that we, you would know yourself are your carpal tunnel syndrome, rotator cuff strains in the shoulder, tendonitis. So it could be tendonitis of the, of the elbow, it could be tendonitis in the foot, it could be um, a tendonitis in the, in the bicep. Cubital tunnel syndrome, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, back and neck pain, bulges in your spinal discs and headaches actually can sometimes be caused by RSIs as well. So essentially, they can develop anywhere in the body, um, but the upper area is where we tend to see them the most. They're not always caused by work tasks. As I said, I myself did develop an RSI in early, early lockdown when I decided I was going to take up crochet. Um, I can knit a little bit, but I decided I was going to give crochet a go. Now, the reality of it is the RSI developed because I thought that when I learned the very basics of crochet, I was ready to jump head on into a project. The reality was I hadn't taken the time to learn how to do it properly, wasn't using the right equipment for what I wanted to do. Because I wasn't very well practiced at it, I couldn't do it without giving it my full attention. So if I was sitting on the sofa and I was trying to crochet something and I glance up at the telly, I'd make a mistake. Then I'd get frustrated, I'd have to fix it, I would get tense, I would get annoyed and I would have extra tension in my hands. And I just wasn't holding the crochet hook in the right way either. So I was getting extra tension in my fingers. 
And I suppose the reason I'm telling you this is an RSI can develop because employees are not trained appropriately in their tasks. They're under stress when they're completing their tasks. They are not, either don't have the correct equipment or have not been properly shown how to use the equipment. Um, or they're trying to do it too quickly or they're doing it with out proper rest breaks, not giving their bodies muscles a chance to recover. And RSIs are generally caused by a combination of factors. And these factors combine then to cause an injury to the muscles, the tissues, the nerves, the joints. So repetitive use of the same area, both large movements and fine motor movements can cause an RSI or contribute to an RSI. Prolonged static postures, as I said, both whole body postures and pinch or grip postures in the hands can contribute to an RSI. Poor posture when you're completing your tasks can contribute to an RSI because that's putting additional strain on whatever part of the body is in the adverse posture. Manual handing, of course, can cause an RSI. Poor physical condition of the person or a lack of exercise, a lack of fitness, a lack of core strength and stability can contribute to the development of an RSI. Previous injuries can. So, for example, if you've previously had carpal tunnel syndrome, if you don't take care of this area and if you don't have the correct equipment and if you're not taking adequate breaks and if you're not using your mouse or your keyboard devices correctly, of course, you will be more predisposed to getting an RSI again in the same area. Exposure to cold work environments can also cause an RSI. Exposure to vibration can cause an RSI. So either through the likes of hand tools or sitting in machinery or driving, that kind of thing can contribute to an RSI. And stress, of course, psychological factors. There's a cyclical relationship there between physical discomfort and stress. Does the stress cause extra tension in the muscles and then go on, go on to cause discomfort? Does the discomfort then stress the person out? So stress and psychological factors, of course, can contribute to an RSI. And how do they develop? What, what's the mechanism? Well, within the muscles and tendons, when they're worked, tiny micro tears form in the tissues. And then inflammation occurs in this area as the body works to repair your tissues. So I suppose and, and a way that we'd all be familiar with where this happens is if you go and do a new exercise or if you go and start doing weightlifting and you know that you could do, for example, a weight session in the morning, it'd be reasonably OK for the rest of the day. But you wake up the next morning, and you're going to have muscle soreness in the muscles that you work, delayed onset muscle soreness, the DOMS, as we call it. You experience that generally the day after you've done either a new exercise or you've up, you've kind of increased the load or you've changed your exercise. This, however, this DOMS is essential for muscle development because that's where the body is going in to repair the muscle and develop new muscle fibers. If you give yourself adequate recovery, adequate nutrition, new muscle will develop there. And you'll go back, you'll go back the next day and maybe do a different exercise while you let that area recover. However, when you're working, you're not aiming to build new muscle. That's not why you're there. You're not at work to build new muscle unless you're a professional bodybuilder. So when you're in work and you're completing a work task, if this work task, either because of static positioning or adverse postures or repetitive postures, is causing these micro tears in the muscle, and then the body goes in to try and heal it, but you go back the next day and do the same again and the same again and the same again, the muscle does not get a chance to recover. And instead of actually building new muscle fibers in that area or in the tendons, you actually develop scar tissue. And this can cause pain. So I see this. Another common area where this happens outside of work is running. So if you have tight calves or if you have flat feet and you're running without 
warming up properly, loosening out the calf, doing stretches of the calf. If you're not wearing the right inserts for your shoes or the right runners, you can actually get tiny micro tears on your shins, which we often feel as shin splints. And if you continue and continue to do the same thing without adequate recovery, without adequate rest, and without addressing the actual issue that's causing the micro tears, you can develop scar tissue along your shin, which means that you'll be in pain even when you're not running. So it can happen outside of work, of course, but the reality of it is if you damage the muscles and you don't give them time to recover and you go and repeat the same thing again and again and again, instead of building new muscle fibers and new tendon fibers, you are going to build scar tissue in the area and that's going to cause pain. And of course, when you're in the body system where you have muscles and tendons, you also have nerves. So as your nerves, generally speaking, will either run through your muscle and around your muscle and pass your muscle, when your tissues get inflamed and damaged, they're going to impact the health of the nerves. So whether it's a case that, for example, in the carpal tunnel, when your tissues get inflamed, they compress the nerve and that's where the pain comes from. Or if it's a case that the nerve gets trapped due to tightness or inflammation of the tissues and a lack of available area, you can get restriction of the nerves. Basically, if you irritate the muscles and the tendons, you are going to impact the health of the nerve. As your tissues and nerves are getting used repeatedly without your adequate recovery, the nerves themselves can then become inflamed. And neurological symptoms are really common with RSIs. So where you get kind of tingling, pins and needles, that kind of sensation in your fingers or in your feet is usually a sign of an RSI. And the thing to remember is where you feel the symptoms. So for example, if you're feeling pain in the hand, it does not mean that the site of the problem is the hand. So the site of your discomfort and pain, sometimes with an RSI, may not be the site of the issue. Because if you, for example, have developed an issue in the neck that is acting on or is affecting the nerves in the neck, that can actually manifest into your arms and your hands, because obviously the nerves in your neck run down to your hand. So the site of the pain, important to remember, is not always the site of the issue. And this can delay, I think, for some people treatment. So they might think they have a problem in the hand. So they focus all their tactics and their recovery tactics and their rehabilitation on their hand instead of actually maybe going to see a professional who will be able to tell them, actually, I know you feel the symptoms in your hand, but your problem's higher up. Um, and what are the signs and symptoms of an RSI? Generally, for most RSIs, I say, it starts with a niggle, a mild discomfort that you feel when you're doing a certain task. So it might be come the end of the workday, you're noticing your neck is a bit stiff or you're noticing your hand is cramping a little bit or you're just noticing your lower back is a little stiff and a little sore. It's a niggle. Once you get up and leave the task, it goes away and you forget about it. However, over time, if the cause of this discomfort is not addressed and there's changes are not made, it can then progress from a mild niggle up, right up to chronic and debilitating pain that can negatively impact your ability to carry out your day-to-day -day tasks outside of the original task that was causing the problem. And down the line, you may require medical or surgical intervention to try and actually resolve the issue. So the signs and symptoms of an RSI, pain ranging from mild niggly discomfort to totally debilitating, stiffness, tenderness, swelling, a numbness or a tingling, throbbing pain, weakness, sensitivity to heat or cold, and a discoloration of your hands and fingers. And these are things to watch out for. And I think the really important thing to take away from this particular section is you should not feel discomfort when you're working. 
if you are doing your tasks correctly, if you're using your equipment correctly, and importantly, if you have appropriate equipment and you're taking regular breaks, you should not feel discomfort. You should not get pain that develops into debilitating pain that affects your day-to-day life. That is not normal and that needs to be addressed. How do we treat an RSI? Well, when you first start to notice your symptoms, really what you should do is reduce your exposure to the task that's aggravating it and seek professional advice on how to adapt the task and equipment and that kind of thing. So if you're in a workplace, that may involve notifying your manager, notifying your supervisor when you start to notice that you're having discomfort at work. Let them know because it cannot be acted on unless they know about it. So that is really important. When you notice something, notify your manager, notify your supervisor. If you work for yourself, get in touch with a professional, get in touch with an ergonomist like myself, get in touch with a physiotherapist, get in touch with a professional who can hopefully identify what the issue is and make recommendations to change it. If you can do that, that should resolve it. If you're just in that nickel stage and we make changes, it should go away. However, if we move past this stage and it starts to get worse, the treatment course, it's going to vary based on how long you've had it, how severe it is and the impact it's having on your ability to do your day-to-day tasks. However, generally speaking, when we start to develop RSIs, the first thing people mostly go to is your rest, your ice compression elevation, your rice treatments, ice on the area, rest it, elevate it. A lot of people then will get exercises from physios or will start to seek them out online. So stretches and different kind of exercises to try and address an issue. Oral or topical non-steroidal anti-inflammatories are often used to try and reduce the inflammation. Steroid injections, if we get to that point. Strapping, use of a splint. Surgical intervention can also sometimes come into it really severe cases. And I've seen it more than once where an issue has been let go to a point where the only way to fix it is to go in with surgery and to, and to repair it on that level, um, which, of course, nobody wants. So we always obviously try and stop it before we get to that point. Um, and also stress reduction and relaxation training. Now, I think this one's overlooked a lot. I think people underestimate the impact of stress and anxiety on your body and on your musculoskeletal system. So if you think that your discomfort may not be caused by stress, but it's definitely been aggravated by it, well, then we should look at stress reduction and relaxation training to try and remove that factor from the issue. Um, And then when you're in the workplace, how do we try and prevent them? Okay, so the first thing, whether it is that your job involves a lot of static postures or whether it's that your job involves a lot of repetitive postures, appropriate breaks from the task are really, really important. In a production facility or a manual industrial facility, that break may just constitute going to do a different task for a little while. And that's fine. Once different muscle groups are being used, that's absolutely fine. But it should be, for my my recommendations, if you are doing a job that is highly repetitive in an industrial setting, my recommendation is always max 45 minutes doing that task before you go do something else for a little while just to give the muscles a break. If you're doing something that's in a standing position, swap it up for something that you can do in a sitting position. Or if you do a job that's in a standing position, at least have the option to sit while doing it to take some of the load off the back. And if you are in a really highly static job, you need to get up and move around at least once every 45 minutes, step away from the computer, go walk around for a minute, go get a glass of water, go print some documents, go see some people and come back. 
regular breaks are so important in an industrial setting especially when lines are running all the time it doesn't often make sense or it's not feasible to keep stopping a line obviously every 45 minutes to allow people to take a break but the reality there is that's where task rotation comes in so if you are a manager or if you're a supervisor in an area where there's a lot of manual tasks a lot of repetitive tasks um, and lines are running and you have targets to meet and, and products have to get out or get packed make sure one of the best things you can do for your staff is make sure that all your staff are trained on all the tasks and that way then you can rotate them and move them around as frequently as you need to so that nobody is getting any discomfort or any aches and pains when they're working different muscle groups are being worked some are being rested some are being activated people can swap and move around and it means that if someone's absent someone's on holidays nobody is stuck doing any one task all day long because that's not good for anybody mentally or physically but training everybody in all the tasks it means that people can swap roles and move in and out and nobody is stuck in the one position all day um, and if you're working on a computer or if you drive for a living static posture and repetitive postures are a problem in driving too you have to take breaks if you work at a desk set yourself a production clock or a productivity clock sorry or set yourself a break reminder app to go off every 45 minutes to take a break if you drive for a living you need to be getting out of the car as often as you can. That is more difficult to plan depending on where you're driving. But I always recommend plan your route. Find out where your safe stops parts are. So if, for me, if I'm in the car for more than an hour, I will always try at some point during that drive to have pulled in and got out of my car for a minute or two. Might go get a coffee. It might just be to walk around the car for a minute. But somewhere safe that you can leave your vehicle for a minute or two go do something else, go to the bathroom, go get a coffee, go get a bottle of water, come back into the car and go. But by planning your route and allowing the time for it, it means you're more likely to do it. That is really important, I do think, because I think drivers are sometimes overlooked when it comes to the injury risk associated with their job. Um, maintain neutral and supportive postures when you're doing your tasks. So when you're sitting at your computer, this has been addressed in previous episodes make sure you're at the right position for the service that you're using and make sure your equipment is set up as best it can be for your stature if you're in a manual job make sure you're observing correct manual handling principles that you should hopefully have been trained in as part of your job make sure you're using aids that are available make sure that if you're working on a line that you have everything you need near you and you're able to maintain a good posture um, an ergonomic assessment of your workstation or your tasks or your work area can actually help reduce the exposure to the risks and the severity of symptoms. It is always a good idea to do an ergonomic assessment. And I, I'm biased saying that, I know. But the reality of it is we are all so different. We are all built differently. We all have different limitations, different capabilities. So by getting an outsider like myself or anybody to come in and do an ergonomic assessment of a workstation or a work task, you can make sure that it is suitable and it is a low risk as it can be for anybody who's doing the task. And right away, then you're reducing your risk of RSIs for all of the staff, all of the users. Risk assessments should be completed of the task to make sure that any tasks that present a risk of an RSI are identified, assessed, and the risk is either reduced or eliminated if possible. And make sure that all your staff and you yourself are trained on everything that you use. This applies in the industrial setting. This applies at the computer setting. Like you would be shocked how many people do not know how to adjust their chair and they may have had the chair for a number of years. The reality of it is any piece of equipment 
that you're using for work purposes, be it a sedentary computer-based job, be it an industrial job, no matter in construction, no matter what your job is, you should be trained on how to do it correctly. And you should be trained on how to use any equipment that you use and you should be familiarize yourself with the features of your equipment and how it can be correctly used to reduce your risk of RSIs. So, um, and of course, when it comes to if somebody in the workplace does have an RSI, there's always an adaptation that can be made. There's always a way to reduce the risk. You might not be able to see it, which is why an ergonomist is always useful to have because we can come in from the outside and go, hold on, this could be done a different way. Or here's this piece of equipment that will reduce that movement or improve that posture or make this easier or make this more productive. There's always a way. So I think it's really, really important to say that there's so many different pieces of equipment, whether again, you're computer-based or whether you're industrial-based that can be brought in to reduce the risk of RSIs. Um, and I do think it's important that the risk is reduced no matter what your area of work is because RSIs are responsible for so much absenteeism, so much discomfort. And as I said, when they let it slide, if you don't nip it in the bud, it can go on to hugely impact the person's day-to-day -day life, your companies, how that's run, how your operations are, because if somebody's obviously absent, you're going to have to bring someone to cover them or someone else is going to have to take the load and then you're increasing their exposure. So it's really, really important that from a company employer level and on a personal level that RSIs are managed the risk of developing an RSI is identified, assessed and reduced. And definitely, guys, anyone who listens to this who is an employer, or sorry, excuse me, an employee who is a worker, a DSE user or a manual worker, anything like that, if you feel discomfort when you're working, let your employer know. If they don't know, they can't assess it and then we can't address it and then we can't fix it. Do not turn a blind eye to symptoms. You should not be in pain when you're working. Do not turn a blind eye to symptoms, even if it's just a mild niggle. If it's a mild niggle and somebody gets in to address it, great, it's gone. It should not develop into something else. But if you ignore it, you're increasing the likelihood that it is going to develop into something that is going to need more drastic intervention and is going to start to impact you outside of work. So I hope there was something useful for most of you or for everyone, ideally, in this episode when it comes to RSIs. As I said, the advice is very, very general. If you have a concern, contact your employer and request an assessment of your workstation and your tasks to try and reduce the risk. I hope there was useful information in this for you. Um, next week's episode, I'm gonna bring, bring it back to the one I had planned to do this week was actually sit-stand desks, um, but just with the RSI Awareness Day, I thought it was good to get this one out. The next episode is going to focus on sit-stand desks, the different types, and what's the best way to use them. And I really look forward to you joining me for that. And I will talk to everyone soon.